0: Hello, everyone. My name is Max Kituba, and I'd like to welcome you all to another week on the SME Empower podcast, where we are empowering entrepreneurs to create a world of impact. And we do this because we believe that your success in business matters, not just for you, but for your community and for the world at large. So we are committed to providing you with valuable insights and information from successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts from around the world so that you can grow your business and your impact. Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. EAT, subscribe and join the movement as you take the first step to impact the world through entrepreneurship. We're very excited to have you on and we'd love to see you again and again. Thank you.
1: The guy who the guy who was the founder and leader of Zoom, yeah. you know, has talked about how a lot of it was just really making things more simple, but a mm-hmm. lot of it that was facilitated by advances in, in technology. But there, mm-hmm. uh, the, video, the the cool video I saw was a short interview with his very first investor, his first angel investor. Yeah. And they met playing, uh, playing soccer, playing football in, in the Bay Area. And mm-hmm. he thought, the guy was such a great teammate and such a joyous player that you know he was worth talking to. and they said, well, someday someday that you know someone's going to figure could start getting start figuring it out. And lo and behold, uh, it, it, it happened, which was great. The the other funny part of it was the angel, the venture capitalists in later rounds bought the the angel out. So he only made 80 times his money. It's not a bad deal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not such a bad deal. 80 times, you know. I can think of much worse deals than three, two, one and we're live. Hello everyone and welcome to the SME Empower podcast. I'm your host Max Getuber, and I'd like to officially welcome Dr. Norris Kruger. He's the founder of uh, Entrepreneurship Northwest where him and his team have developed and implemented programs and activities to nurture more innovative, creative and entrepreneurial individuals, organizations and communities around the world for over 20 years. We're very happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, Welcome Norris. How, happy to have you on the show. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Max. There's definitely a lot of things you can help our listeners with, but I think um, I'd like us to start just um, with you giving us a little bit of a background into what you do and how you got into entrepreneurship in the first place.
1: Uh, well, like many people, like many people with their careers, that that it, it's almost you know, by accident in some ways, you look back, and but every so many of the things, even from from childhood, have sort of driven me in this in in this direction. But I I am either blessed or cursed by wearing multiple hats. That I have been a tech entrepreneur. Uh, some experience. I've only killed three companies so so far. <laughs> looking to build <laughs> to start a, a fourth target uh, for that. I have, uh, I started out uh, as a research nerd for an investment banking firm doing forecasting stuff and ended up in through complicated circumstances ended up uh, doing a research PhD in entrepreneurship. I have been a professor then I've been in economic development. I've been an entrepreneur. I do more and more working with the people who work in growing entrepreneurial ecosystems on one hand, kind of the macro side of of the equation, and uh, was able to be part of some pioneering entrepreneurship education, that hardcore project-based learning, which I didn't know as a thing uh, until I studied it. But it's the reason that much entrepreneurship education does so well, even though we do project-based learning pretty badly, compared to what we could be doing. And that's mm-hmm. sort of a, a re- learning a recurring thing is in building entrepreneurial ecosystems, we do some things okay, but there's so much more we could do. And actually I started out at Caltech in physics mm-hmm. and I'm not a physicist. <laughs> uh, I'm <laughs> yeah, not, you, uh, to I, you, you have to, things. I was good at math, but you have to be genius at math to, to, to do well with that. But I did take away some great lessons on research that, First talk I ever heard was the famous Nobel Prize winner, Richard Feynman, who is supposedly the smartest man on the planet. And he was saying, doing great research is not about resources. It helps to have the skills. It helps to have the money. It helps to have everything, all all this this stuff. But it won't be great research unless you have a great question. Now, Anyone can ask a good question. Maybe a very good question, but it's very hard to ask truly great questions.
0: So, based on a lot of the conversations that you and I have had up until this point, uh, we've talked about a lot of interesting, contrarian. or unexpected facts about entrepreneurship and business. So, yeah, could you just start there and just tell us about this bias about like older companies being able to innovate and grow quickly as compared to to newer ones?
1: Well, well I, yeah, Max did, in my country, we have an expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. That research, of course, shows that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more like, Old owners can't get it together to actually <laughs> teach the dog. Uh, it's a bit, it's not really true, but it can be a very much a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. There's probably more great innovation going on inside of large companies. We just don't hear about it. Okay. That, uh, that these companies wouldn't survive if they weren't innovating a little bit and just a, a little bit of innovation in a very large organization yeah uh, it can can have quite an impact plus one thing that effective companies do in the long run is yes they do product r&d but they also need to do process r&d they have to get better at uh, at at this this process innovation particularly if it can improve their cost structure, whether it, they can make things more more efficiently, they have better supply chains, and so on. That, and that's something we've we've kind of lost in some ways, have lost sight of because we, in our account, in, in many countries, the accounting system, your, you you do not count process R and D as your real R and D that's that goes on your your income statement yeah. and that's uh and in some circumstances even in the u.s you you can actually put your R product r d expenses on your balance sheet as an asset it's not an expense it's an asset well it is an expense and it's an asset then this immediately can lead to really bizarre balance sheets and probably not the best for, uh, in, in information for investors, but it yeah. is a, a, but it, we have a lot of structures that, that can reward it.
0: Yeah, so um, just I as you were talking, talking about, about um, innovation within um, larger enterprises and they need that to uh, survive, um, but as we talk about those smaller uh, businesses that maybe don't have as uh, much resource-wise as those larger enterprises. So how can they innovate in short? Like how can they innovate with limited resources?
1: Let me answer that from sort of two directions. One is kind of the the, the cognitive side I I already touched on about the key to to research Mm -hmm. is great questions. Not good questions, great questions, which you don't need a lot of, resources to be highly imaginative that imagination is very is is not a scarce necessarily a scarce resource but it does help to have industry experience it does if you're going to build the if you're trying to figure out what's going on so there's a couple of different ways that that i recommend to folks to do and if i'm i'm in a business i do one is just it's really old school but looking at external business environments, what's changing, what's changing in the legal environment, the political environment, the social environment, the cultural environment, the economic environment, and so on, and looking for what's changed, especially what people haven't noticed and then you can go back and look uh, where does that where do they reinforce each other here is something that's going on in your customer in how your customers think and here is something that's going on in the in the general econ- in the economic environment <clears throat> and do they reinforce each other so very small changes combined might be, be pretty big but it, it's just important to go do it because your competitors are not doing it they're not looking at that The nice thing is, okay, you got changes, here's what's changing, here's what's interesting in those external environments. And you sort of like build sort of a a table and one side are these external environments, the other are elements of strategic elements of, of your business model. I mean, just as simply as, okay, how does this change? The change in the customer environment does affect your marketing, duh. But mm-hmm. does it affect your opera? How does it how does that impact your supply chain? How does that affect your operations? How does it affect your accounting? Uh, <clears throat> it can happen. But you're looking for things where the conventional wisdom is wrong. That's sort of the holy grail. In nineteen eighty, the conventional wisdom in the tire industry was that radial tires were a fad. Mm-hmm. Radial tires were invented in 1958 by Michelin. That always nice to know. But they couldn't change their attitudes toward their understanding at a deep level of their industry because it changed everything about their business. Having tires that last four times as long for about the same price that you're now, you you want the original equipment people, you wanna go to the car makers. In the old days, you wanted the replacement market. And that meant talk, You talk to different people. Your executives have cocktails with, gonna have you know, with and play golf with one group. Then they should be looking at the other. So figuring out where that conventional wisdom is wrong uh, can be very powerful. So <clears throat> the radial tire company experts had a free run for 20 years <laughs> without, <clears throat> without the U.S. side of the of the industry uh, responding. Mm -hmm. But that's that sort of stuff. Now, there's another way that is takes longer, but Mm -hmm. is much more rewarding is that that every, you know, there's a lot of discussion about stakeholder capitalism and blah, is that every business has more important stakeholders than they realize. Who Mm -hmm. are the people in your community who have could help you? Mm-hmm. There are more of them than you realize. Mm-hmm. Who in your community could hurt you. There's mm-hmm. probably some you don't don't even see. Make a map, make a table of everybody who might possibly have a reason to care about what you're doing. that they mm-hmm. might, yes, they might want to hurt you, they might want to help you. But if they feel like they have a, they could have a vested interest in what you're doing, you want to make a list of this of mm-hmm. them. And the people that you have a vested interest in what they're doing and this Mm -hmm. could be a very long list but but it's worth going through the exercise you know what will make them happy what will what will make them unhappy what do they bring to the table what can you do for them and it's powerful because you can find maybe you find a bunch of 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 allies that you didn't think you have and maybe there's not one big one but a bunch of little ones out there but but here's the real here's the real jujitsu of of all of this is as you're going through this don't think about entities think about okay people here is a here's someone who an organization that could be helpful to your business they make a great stakeholder who is someone at in that entity you could learn from who's someone you should go chat up go have coffee with and try to get to know figuring out your stakeholders, figuring out who your <clears throat> uh, subject matter experts are and figuring out how I can learn from my peers. Another point that uh, is important, a bit of advice is, you know, don't don't talk to people, just people like you, even when you're looking at these different, these subject matter experts, whether or these uh, stakeholder groups, you know, mm-hmm. talk to people who aren't like you
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, whether it's gender, age, education, uh, you know, ethnicity, whether they speak English or American, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you need to understand your, your stakeholders. But that opens the door to be finding people who could be at a personal level, be be advisors, be mentors. You say, I if I needed a lawyer, I know the guy. I call. He's he's tall, impressive. Former attorney general of the state of Idaho. Yeah. Bad, bad cat. And yeah, yeah. I can't afford him. Act- I don't think I could afford him. Actually, but I know I he would be able to find me the right the right the right person. And yeah. good business people, whether an existing small business, they they tend to found these people. They found an accountant they can rely on and so forth. Somebody would give them good advice on on going to market with a new product or developing a a prototype. They know who they can go, they can go talk to. But in a startup, you don't feel like you have the time to do that, but it's something worth making the time. And that means, and the shortcut is, and this is sort of my, you know, for the capstone of all this is in every community, regardless of the domain who are there are a lot of people who are connectors they're good at, they they like to connect they're good at it. but there are a handful who are super connectors mm-hmm. they're often so look for the people in your community who connect the connectors mm-hmm. and they're hard to do I think I'm I'm kind of one here in, in Idaho and and, and and the academic world I, I but you know having been at it for a long time you yeah that it's been, been a blessing, but go find, you find those people that sort of accelerates the, the process because they will have a, a, a good idea. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. Max,
1: you need to talk to so-and-so mm-hmm. a, on that. And if that doesn't work, I'll hook you up with, some, with, with someone else. Yeah, the, that connecting is intrinsically motivated. So it's hard to pay people to do it. They've got to do it because they like doing it, because they want to do it, and mm-hmm. and to me that's and adds to the adds to the fun. Mm-hmm. That someone is helping you because they feel obliged to help you mm-hmm. is not very productive. Not. Not really that fun for, 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 for anyone, but finding those joyous, competent super connectors in your community. You know, the, the recurring theme, Max, in all of this has been, yeah. you know, you get it, putting yourself in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the way of new ideas, different ways of thinking, different ways of behaving,
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: can be so, so important.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, uh, uh, just for coming on and uh, having the conversation. It was great. Hope to have you again on. I mean, on again since then.
1: It sounds good. Yeah, and I will. uh, I'll talk to. uh, I will and I will talk to you uh, when we talk. So keep me posted. Thanks for your time. Bye -bye. bye.
0: Hello again. It's me, your beloved host, and I'd just like to take a moment to thank you for making it to the end of the episode. Now, I know it was a very rich episode with a lot of takeaways, and I'd like to kindly ask you not to keep those takeaways to yourself. Please join our Facebook group and post any takeaways that you might have had. Other than that, you can find me on any platform. I'm available if you have any questions. Um, that you'd like to hear about um, in the coming weeks on the next interview. So feel free to kindly follow us as well on any platform that you're on. The link is in the description. And with that, I'd like to wish you a productive and wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.